0: Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. As we near the end of our current series in Proverbs, Skillful Living, Dr. Newfeld tackles the issue of sexual sin. So let's begin as we turn to Proverbs chapter seven, verses one to 27 for our message on winning the war against sexual sin.
1: I'm going to be speaking from Proverbs seven and sexual sin, but before I begin, Let me be clear about something which has become quite foggy in recent years. Jesus said, and I'm reading from Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Notice that Jesus puts adultery and sexual immorality into two different categories. Adultery refers to a married person having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. Recently, some have argued that Jesus only condemned adultery, nothing else. But as we can see from this text, that's not so. Now, the word sexual immorality is a translation of one Greek word, which is the word porneia. The word porneia is a more widespread and general term. It refers to all acts of sex outside of marriage. They include adultery, but also premarital sex, prostitution, homosexuality, and anything else you can imagine. So to be clear, Jesus said that all sex outside of marriage defiles a person. I need to say this clearly at the outset of my address because the confusion about this is overwhelming. This was the view of Jesus, and this is also the view of the entire Bible. All Judaism and Christianity assumes that all sex outside of marriage of one man to one woman is a sin against God. That's the history of our faith. i now make an assumption. Almost all nonbelievers in our culture now assume that sex goes along with dating. And so we can see that Christian morality puts us at odds to what seems normal and natural in the secular culture in which we live. So if you're a believer dating an unbeliever, the time will soon come when he will wonder why you've not given yourself to him sexually. And so some lie to themselves. If it's oral sex or if it's mutual masturbation, it's not sex. And you've become, in Christ's words, unclean. There have been so many sexual scandals in our culture that many of us have become desensitized to them. Let me cover some news stories. A mother kills her children because they're getting in the way of her relationship to her new boyfriend. A teacher is being sued because years ago he was involved sexually with his students. A prominent politician known for his conservative Christian values regarding marriage flies off to South America to be with his mistress for a week, hoping that no one would find out. Everyone did. And he, like multitudes before him, now stand on the podium, wife beside him, apologizing to the press for how he's let everyone down. And of course, everyone's favorite, a pastor much loved by everyone, is found to be with prostitutes. The stories go on and on. But those are just the ones that make the news. How many marriages have ended because of adultery? How many children are devastated that daddy has another lady? How many Christian young people have broken their commitment to moral purity and now either justify what they are doing or are too ashamed to believe that they can still serve the Lord? How many have a sexually transmitted disease like genital warts and genital herpes? How many are HIV positive? How many marriage beds are crowded from all the past relationships emotionally squeezed into the present one? I know of even evangelical churches that teach that sex before marriage is okay. But once one has adopted an attitude in which sex before marriage becomes easy, don't think that you're going to hold the line at adultery. In other words, the forays into forbidden territory will not stop at marriage. How could it? The walls that should have been built up that say, you shall not cross here, have been broken down, and marriage will not build them up. Only wisdom, empowered by God's Spirit, can do that. See, sexual scandals are now so commonplace that it's become expected. Pornography is now readily available. It's hard to imagine who is not affected. The idea of placing boundaries around a relationship seemed like news from another planet, Many have concluded that the battle for sexual purity is unwinnable. I want during this address two things to happen. First, if you have become unclean, that you seek forgiveness and cleansing at the feet of Jesus. And secondly, that you begin with a new assumption. You can decide to win the war in advance. See, when I say that, please don't think me to be naive. I am aware of the interplay of several powerful that seem like unstoppable passions at work in every fallen son and daughter of Adam. First, Jesus reminded us that out of the heart comes sexual immorality. Surprised you, didn't I? You thought it came out of your hormones, but it doesn't. Yes, every human being has a biological sex drive, but that drive does not make you engage in sexual misdeeds. That drive can just as easily lead you to marriage and to a lifelong love and fidelity with one other person. It can be the impetus to purity. Now, it is the heart that is at issue, for sin resides in the heart, and it is there that the battle must be fought. Think of sin as a terrorist sleeper cell. You say, I will not sin, and you offer a frontal, full-scale attack on sin. Sin then retreats deep into the recesses of your own heart where you can't find it and you think, I've won the battle. And then when we're convinced that we've won the war not to sin sexually, suddenly sin makes a comeback and we're shocked to find it overpowering our will and making us act against our better judgment. So is it hopeless? No. You have to decide to win the war in advance. Well, how do you do that? Five ways. First, welcome God's authority. Let's read Proverbs 7, 1 to 3. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. See, the first thing that you must do is treasure God's commands regarding sexual purity. Make them the apple of your eye. That is, tell yourself that you love these commands and rehearse them to yourself constantly. That's your first step. Welcome God's authority. Second, declare an unending warfare of perpetual hostility and hatred against all sexual sin by desiring wisdom over sexual fascination. Let's read Proverbs 7, 4 to 5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now, calling wisdom your sister is a term of endearment. I'm reminded here of 1 Timothy 5, verse 2, where Paul encourages young men to think of young women, especially the pretty ones, as sisters. And so a battle has ensued in the mind. It is the battle of how to name things. That woman is my sister in Christ. That woman is married and made a covenant to another man. That woman is forbidden. Job said in Job 1, verse 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Now, that's good counsel, for it tells us what's right. But as with all things we seek to abandon, those things leave a hole and an emptiness and a lack, a longing that needs to be filled. Proverbs teaches us that the void must be filled with lady wisdom. Your mind now becomes a new thing, and all your passions become engaged in a restless search for ever-increasing wisdom both in the knowledge of God and in the restless search for an ever-increasing skill in all the decisions of life. See, many people have told me how Scripture memory began to occupy their hearts as it required all their concentration and required full attention and little time for a wandering mind. So we've learned two principles. First, welcome God's authority. And second, declare warfare by replacing thoughts of adultery with wisdom. Now the third principle. Never allow yourself to stray into enemy territory, for if you are on the enemy's ground, you're going to lose. Let's read verses 6 to 9. For at the window of my house I have looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near the corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening at the time of darkness. I find these verses fascinating. What was this young man doing on the street by the house of a woman who was known to be adulterous? Why was he hanging out there? He should have been nowhere near that location. Notice several things. First, the young man is simple, which means he has no commitment to wisdom. He has not made a resolute decision to win the war. He's not engaged in a lifelong passion to learn the commands of God. Second, Although he won't admit it, he's opening himself up to the possibility of a tryst. First Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Let's say you and your girlfriend are prone to lust, and you've told each other no more sex, and then you have it again. I have a word for you. Stop straying into enemy territory. Look at verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night or of darkness... It was William Shakespeare who said that lust and light are mortal enemies. I'm going to say much more about that when we come back.
0: In our culture, sexual sin is so pervasive that it's an issue that in some way impacts all of us. Too often, Christians succumb to the temptations around them, enticed by a worldview that glorifies sex for all the wrong reasons. We must become aware of our own propensity to fall, and the wisdom in Proverbs helps us tackle this problem head on. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld concludes our study by offering hope and counsel in the war against sexual sin. Have you visited our new and improved website lately? Well, we've just upgraded backtothebible.ca to make it more engaging, more user-friendly, and full of all of our ministry teaching resources, whether it's listening to today's broadcast or a past series, reading Dr. Newfeld's blog, subscribing to Truth and Life magazine, update on events, or other resources. Be sure to check in regularly for all the latest ministry news and updates. Visit backtothebible.ca today, or to touch base by phone, call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfound.
1: If you're struggling with sexual sin, tell your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm so weak, I can't see you past six o'clock in the evening. Wisdom teaches me that darkness is my enemy. See, never go into each other's bedroom. It's enemy territory. Let's say you're prone to internet pornography. You've got to say to yourself, I will never go online with no one else around. Why? It's enemy territory. Let's say you visited prostitutes. Now you know that there are certain parts of town that you're never permitted to go because it's enemy territory. Listen to me. Every time you stray into enemy territory, you lose. Get that through your head, Bubba. So if you fall into sin, tell the truth. Say, I deliberately went into the arena where I know that sin always wins. From now on, I will flee the enemy's territory. Principle number four, be aware of deceptive tactics. I'm reading verses 10 to 14. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. I want you to notice how the adulterous woman speaks to this young man. If she went out to sacrifice, she has food left over to be eaten at home, and she says, come and join me in eating. In that, she gives the impression that she's spiritual, she sacrifices, and now she must eat, and she invites him to come. Now to verse 15. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Now, do you believe that? Listen, this woman, this woman will go with anyone. She is shameless, oversexed, and underdressed. She's high on hormones and low on ethics. But she says to the young man, I'm just for you, and it plays to his ego it's deception. He means nothing to her. She will go with anyone. He's just dumb enough to be available, but the illusion plays in his head. Verses 16 and 17. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Now she appeals to his sensuality. She's trying to give him a mental picture of what's waiting. Imagine what it's like. And so she inflames his mind with sensuality. His mind is now imagining the scene. Verses 19 to 20. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Here now is her last deception. There will be no consequences. We will never be found out. I call this the Las Vegas approach. Whatever happens in Vegas will always stay in Vegas. So with his ego inflamed and his mind imagining that something much greater than what is, and with the assurance that people get away with this kind of thing all the time, he's destroyed. So what should this young man have done? Well, the most basic principle is to realize that he's being deceived. The enemy of our souls wants to portray sexual sin as sweet and delicious, and if engaged in with discretion, will leave us without regret. What is needed? is to counter this massive deception with truth, with light, with wisdom, with the commands of God. Remember that Proverbs 7 is a father imparting wisdom to his son. And the father, having told his son of this sexual encounter of this simple young man with an adulterous woman, comes to some pretty telling conclusions. Here's the fifth principle of winning the war against sexual sin. Stop believing the lie. And start believing two essential truths. Here they are. Get an internal picture of what sexual sin really entails. Let's read verses 21 to 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into the snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, because I'm from a farm background, I mean, I can picture this first image. Do you know how you get an animal to the slaughterhouse? Well, you calm it, you soothe it, and you pat it, and you speak in gentle tones to it. And with a bit of work, you can lead it willingly to its death. Now, imagine that you're that animal, and sin is soothing you, speaking to your ego, giving you pictures of sexual pleasure, having you imagine a world free of consequences. This is how we should picture our sexual temptations, for that is a true and accurate picture. But how is sexual sin leading us to the slaughter? See, in his book on sexual purity, Randy Elkhorn imagines what it would be like for him if he had committed adultery. He imagines explaining it to his deeply hurt and wounded wife. He imagines explaining it to his angry children who want to know how he could have betrayed their mother. He imagines how his reputation would suffer, and then he realizes that there are those who will never trust him again. He imagines Satan doing high fives with the demons in hell to his ruin. That's the slaughterhouse. I want you to imagine your own list and picture what sexual sin could do to you. Now, here's the second reality picture. The second reality picture realizes the temptress for who she really is. Let's read verses 24 to 27. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she lain low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I want you to imagine one of those horror movies where a beautiful woman is just some alien's facade. And as soon as the alien sheds the body, out pops this horrible and deadly creature. You shudder and think how beautiful, enticing, and yet how disgusting and awful. Now let's move from that picture to the one presented here. The house of the adulterous woman is not what it appeared to be. Remember, the young man was promised a bed covered with Egyptian linens and perfumes. But it turns out that was a facade. Like the old movie screen, a stage is set up. It's not the real thing. The bed was the doorway that leads to the lake of fire that burns forever. You pull the blankets aside, and instead of finding a soft mattress, you find a hellish abyss filled with the slain who groan and writhe in everlasting torment. The adulterous woman is, in fact, not a sexy woman who thinks you're a hunk. She's, in fact, a mighty predator who knows how easy it is to kill you. She has slain multitudes. Single-handedly, she has vanquished one politician after another. Spies have told state secrets to her and brought down nations. Teachers and lawyers have been disgraced by her power. And pastors who were entrusted with the Word of God are among her dead, and so are entire churches. Because disillusioned followers of Jesus have concluded that there was nothing to the faith when their leaders have ended in her merciless arms. Her accomplishments are legendary in the demon's hall of fame. No one is as powerful and as successful as she is. Even powerful dictators have failed to inflict the damage that she has accomplished for the gates of hell. See, this address has attempted to do several things. I've sought to demonize sexual sin so that we no longer view it as a small thing. I've sought to give ammunition so that you can decide to win the war in advance. But I also wish to reach out to the fallen and to declare that Christ is a much greater warrior than sexual immorality. Those who have been won by the great liberating love of the cross are freed from the grasp of tyranny. You can lift up your head. You can be freed from sin's grasp, and you can be productive in Christ's service. Do not despair. Put your hope in Christ's redeeming love. Meditate on these words from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Be hopeful. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?
0: John, a great study. Uh, It's up front, and it's the real truth of God. But, you know, sometimes we're very quick to judge those outside of the church for their sexual exploits, their sinfulness. Not as quick to look inside.
1: Yeah, I know. And, and, And Paul says, you know, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? You know, the real issue of Scripture is to take care of the life of the believer. Um, so as a matter of fact, I think we do need to speak about this very clearly, and we do need to paint a picture, and that's what I've been trying to do, because, I mean, a culture does paint a picture of the beauty of illicit sexual sex, and, and we should be painting the picture of the opposite in just as graphic terms. I think that's exactly what, what the Scripture that we've read here in Proverbs actually does for us. And if you can imagine a father telling his son these things, maybe that ought to be a part of basic discipleship. Describe the ruin that happens if we go in this direction. That's key. A
0: powerful and convicting message today on how every believer can win the war against sexual sin. There's been some great reminders here of the seriousness of this issue in our culture and within the church. Single, married, in a relationship, no one is immune from the struggle. And there is no ultimate hope for the battle without godly wisdom to help us to defeat it. Wherever you are in your walk with God, I hope this message has spoken to you in a profound way. For God can redeem all of our sins, past, present, and future. Be sure to listen tomorrow as Dr. Newfeld wraps up this series, Skillful Living in the Book of Proverbs. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating one of the most important holidays of the year, Easter. To help you prepare for Easter, we're airing Dr. Newfeld's popular series, Journey to the Cross, beginning next week. Surveying the accounts in all four Gospels, this two-week study brings us into the heart of Jesus' final week on Earth, beginning before Palm Sunday and right up until His Resurrection. We hope you'll take the time to listen, be inspired, encouraged, and challenged as we rediscover this Passion Week. And this month, you can also make this series your own on CD for only $11 plus shipping and handling. Great for your own personal study or an excellent resource for your church. Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit backtothebible.ca to order your copy today.